Would you join me in opening up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. The last verse of the chapter will be our focus for this morning. Please follow along as I read. So, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Would you bow and pray with me? Lord God, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that we might see the wonderful things that you have placed there for us. Give us food for our soul, that we might live on these truths as the sustenance, the spiritual food from on high. Lord, give us light from your word. We may not stumble in this world in which we walk, but walk hopefully and clearly toward the end goal. And Lord, may we also know the water of the word refreshing our spirits or that we might have an exuberance in the world and among one another because of these truths. So help from pulpit to pew make us wiser than we were when we walked in because of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Deliverance. Deliverance. Salvation. Deliverance. Words. Words with profound meaning. Oft used word, salvation. Not so often, deliverance. But deliverance is an essential biblical theme. What a glorious beginning the world had. All the way from light to ocean to land. Growing things and creeping things and man's creation before God, very good, very good. And then a deceiver enters the garden and deceives the woman Eve, and her leader, her, her head, her husband, followed suit, and man fell from very good to very lost, from life to death, the decay entered the world. Death entered the world, as we learn in Romans, and death through sin. And the theme of the Bible is God delivering man throughout history 
and a final deliverance planned. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were delivered from eternal disaster, eternal death, when God removed them and threw them out of the Garden of Eden so that they would not eat from the tree of life. For should they have eaten of the tree of life, they would have been dead forever, permanently bound in that condition. It was a deliverance, an act of protection that God removed them from the garden. Man came, man produced, man grew, man grew sinful, such that by Genesis chapter 6, that every thought and intent of the hearts of the men that resided on earth was evil all day long, and so Noah. And so God called Noah, the one man who walked with him, and he saved eight souls, Noah's wife, his sons and their daughters, and they entered the ark and were delivered from the judgment of God, deliverance, survival, physical life. And then the seed of Abraham, those known as Israel, from the land of Egypt, from the Pharaoh, from the oppression of slavery and bondage, Moses raised up. A deliverer sent to bring his people out of bondage into the promised land, the land God promised Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, deliverance. There is another deliverance. Certainly one that we understand that is the spiritual deliverance of sinful man by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That deliverance is finished. That work of deliverance is complete. We have read in Hebrews chapter 9 again and again that once for all he has entered the most holy place having obtained eternal redemption. Once. But now once, verse 26, at the end of the ages, the end of the periods of time, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Done. Complete. Finished. All who believe in that truth are thereby saved, delivered, spiritually redeemed, spiritually delivered. There's a finality in Hebrews 9, and it comes in verse 27. And it is appointed for men to die once. And after this, the judgment. One commentator surprised me by saying, well, this is quite the cheerful emphasis. So I read on. He said it's cheerful because it's once. It's once that's only been given under man once to die, not many times, not over and over again, but once to die, and after this, the judgment. There is 
a cheerful emphasis here. There is one judgment that will be brought one time after man dies one time. And I wonder sometimes what that judgment will be even for myself. I claim the promise that Jesus died once and that he had obtained eternal redemption for me. He bought me from the slavery of sin, just like he delivered Egypt from the bondage of slavery, or delivered Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. The same deliverance I trust in. What will that judgment be like? How long will it last? I wonder. Moments? People have said the light, your life will flash before your eyes. Well, I don't know where that's in the Bible. So is it moments? Is it minutes? Is it hours? Could it go on for days? And then again, what is time after you die? What sort of list will there be of missed opportunities? Missed chances to follow the Lord, to obey Him, to glorify His name, to do the right thing that He's called on us rather than the other? What failures will be presented? What a weight might be upon us for a moment again, chains of despair, guilt, and fear? Or will it render hope? Or will it render hope? There will be a verdict on everyone. Delivered or undelivered? Delivered from sin and the punishment eternally in hell or deliverance unto salvation? For what we are talking about today is deliverance apart from sin. That's in this verse. What in the world is this? So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. What is deliverance apart from sin? I thought that's what the whole thing was about. Well, if that's what you thought, then we all thought wrong. So today we are going to be presented with three essential aspects of deliverance. Three essential aspects of deliverance. Apart from sin, that identify who the delivered are. Who the delivered are. And what they are delivered from. Are you ready? I know I am. Let's start. The first aspect of deliverance apart from sin is that this deliverance is a deliverance of the already delivered. It is deliverance of the already delivered. Verse 28 again, the first portion. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Those many are all who believe that he died once to deliver you from sin. 
We say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and ye shall be saved. What are you believing? You are believing that Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, paid the price for you, so you're delivered from paying that price of death and hell yourself. He paid it in full. Christ's deliverance is finished. Christ's deliverance is finished for all time. He has nothing left to do to save you from sin. That has been done. Let me give you just a review of the singular book of Hebrews that emphasizes this reality. The finished work of Jesus Christ conquering sin and death for all who believe. Walk through this with me. Hebrews chapter 1, if you flip back. Hebrews chapter 1, the very book is introduced this way, and we're introduced to Jesus, the Son of God, in chapter 1, verse 3, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, that's Jesus, had by himself, listen, had by himself purged our sins. Whose sins? Our sins. How do you know they're your sins? You believe he purged your sins. And then he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, signaling a completed work. You sit down after the job's done. The job is done. He sits. Chapter 2 now. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Why? This is his humanity. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of, grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Chapter 2, verse 14, if you skip down there. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So this is a defeat of sin, defeat of the punishment for sin, defeat of death, and defeat of the devil. And release those, listen, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Deliverance right there. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That means to satisfy the wrath of God delivered, done. The delivery has been made. Turn ahead to Hebrews 5. Verse 7, who, speaking of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. God was able to save him from death. God did not save him from death. He helped Jesus die for us. He allowed him 
he sent him, Jesus voluntarily went. The cup did not pass. He drank the wrath of God himself. Hebrews 7 now, verse 26. For such a high priest, 726, for such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. Now pay attention here. For this he did once for all. Again, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. He delivered the people from sins. He delivered all believers from this terrible bondage. Hebrews 8, verse 12. This is the new covenant given in Jeremiah chapter 31, quoted in chapter 8 of Hebrews this line stands out in concert with what we've already read. God's indelible new covenant promise is what he will do. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember how long? No more. I will remember them no more. These are the already delivered. Those whose sins and trespasses are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. The sins that now categorize by the judgment of God as gone. Far away. How long will that judgment be? Short. For he is faithful to remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. The already delivered are those who still await deliverance. It seems paradoxical. It seems oxymoronic, but it is not. For we have a deliverance, spiritually speaking, but physically speaking, I find myself still here. Still in the fleshly body that I started out in, Still struggling. Still wondering. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Let's look at the second essential aspect of deliverance we find in our text. Verse 28 now, the second portion. He says, To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. This is a promise. This is a declaration of reality. So the second aspect of deliverance and marking the identity of those who will be delivered, those who will be delivered, and I've named them myself, they are the Eager waiters. Now, I realize you might be a little confused if you work in the restaurant business. You might think that this is a person who just can't wait to wait on tables. No. The eager waiters. 
to those who eagerly wait for him. An eager waiter will find the final deliverance. Will know the final deliverance of God. Letter A now in your notes under number two. Eager waiters believe the promises of God. So if you want to be identified as an eager waiter, you want to become one who eagerly waits as a saved person, as a delivered person, an eager waiter believes the promises of God. Eager waiters believe the promises of God. And what promises are those? Those promises are everything that God has promised to New Covenant believers in the Old Testament and in the New. Hebrews marks out some of this, and let's review again chapter 8. This is the New Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant, the law of Moses, has been put aside, and now this we read. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. This is different than the covenant that came before, and it is realized thusly. It is only believed in. See, you can't do this. You believe this. You can't say, I'll achieve this. You say, God has done this. That's believing a promise. Where God's promise is this, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Why do you want to read your Bible? God put it there, that desire. Why do you want to come to church when you could be somewhere else doing something else, listening to sermons that are, well, could be longer, and your heart says in eager waiting, not long enough. Amen? I was pandering for that one for sure. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Listen, following, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Why? Because God said so. None of them shall teach his neighbor. None of them his brother saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's the new covenant promise. The already delivered who will be delivered are eager waiters who believe that very promise. Verse 13 awaits our reading. Hebrews 8 in that he says a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. You also believe that the covenant of Moses is now no longer in force. It has fulfilled its purpose. And now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away and the new covenant promise ready to come in in full force. We have learned in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, and for this reason he, Jesus, is a mediator of the new covenant. He ministers this new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal of the eternal inheritance. What are eager waiters who believe the promises of God like? 
They're like this. Add this to your notes. Luke, the second chapter. Luke, the second chapter, verse 25. Jesus, a baby, coming. The sacrifices are being offered according to the law in the temple with his parents, Joseph and Mary. Verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout. Listen. Zero in here. What is the characteristic of Simeon that God wants us to know? One, he's just. Two, he's devout. Third, his habit of life, his way of being is this. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. We could call it waiting for the deliverance of Israel by Messiah. Waiting. He's eagerly waiting. He's an eager waiter. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And verse 26 says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah in Hebrew, Christus in Greek. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, this is the prayer, this is the exclamation of an eager waiter. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, your deliverance. My eyes have seen the deliverance, and it is he, the Christ. Verse 31, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, not just to Israel, but to all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The eager waiters cannot wait to see Jesus. They believe the promises that God has told them. Another follows soon on the heels of Simeon as an example of one who waits. Another waits Anna in the wings Verse 36, there was one Anna, a prophetess and daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, listen, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. What would possess a woman to do that every single day of her life because she eagerly awaits something greater. She is a delivered one. She is a believer like Simeon and yet waiting. And verse 38, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked, listen, all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. 
when will Jerusalem's redemption come? He will return a second time. Apart from sin, for salvation. The second aspect of deliverance is deliverance of the eager waiters, and eager waiters believe the promises of God. Letter B, eager waiters, secondly, trust in the forgiveness of God. They trust in the forgiveness of God. If you want to wait eagerly, you realize that the judgment, the judgment that all men must face, face that comes once after death, is no longer a cause for fear when you have trusted this. Is appointed for men once to die, but after the judgment. In Hebrews 6, we learned that there was an essential basic doctrine of Christianity. The doctrines of baptisms, verse 2, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. A resurrection of the dead. Every even baby Christian must know that in an eternal judgment, meaning whatever God decides at that time, whatever your status is, if you're an eager waiter, it's good. If you're not, it's not so good. It's the final judgment forever. But there is hope in that final one-time judgment for eager waiters because they believe God finished the work. Romans 9, 12 again, that Jesus with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That's not part-time redemption. That's not sometimes deliverance. That is complete and total once for all. This word redemption means to buy from slavery. And let me tell you this, what Jesus purchases with his blood, listen to me, stays bought. Once Jesus has purchased you with his blood, there is no one who can outbid him, outdo him, undermine that, in any way take it from you. It is yours forever. You are owned by Jesus. Can I have an amen? And if that is delightful to you, then you can eagerly await for the judgment where that reality is pronounced. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself once at the end of the ages. Chapter 926. That can make you happy about the end. About the end of your life where you're given once to die and then the judgment because you believe the promise of God that Jesus paid it all. Sin may have left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And so we sang so much similar words this morning. The third, the third characteristic of eager waiters, eager waiters welcome the presence of God the Son. Simeon was waiting. Anna was waiting. And we are waiting. 
We're still stuck here, aren't we? And I say stuck because there's nothing you can do about it. You're in this fleshly body until you're not by the will of God alone. We are here on this earth in the midst of the world ruled by the prince of the power of the air and there's nothing you can do about it except eagerly wait. Eager waiters welcome the presence of God the Son. It has to do with our inheritance in chapter 9. Those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And so similarly, Paul says this in Philippians. This changes how you live on earth if you believe this. This changes how you follow Jesus. It changes how you deal with other Christians. It, it changes the way you deal with setbacks, with disappointments, with trials, with health problems, with all the things that come our way. This changes it if you believe it. You can become an eager waiter. Philippians 3, verse 20, for our citizenship, for our citizenship, for our citizenship is in where? Heaven. If you believe your citizenship is in the United States of America, you're in a living hell. You're going to try and fix this thing. And let me tell you, the, there's no fixing it apart from Christ. And Christ is going to fix it by bringing his kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul goes on to say in Philippians 3.20, from which we also eagerly wait, listen, for the Savior. Well, I thought we already knew the Savior. We do. But you haven't met him yet. You haven't seen him yet. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation, for deliverance. The deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, again, verse 21. Who will, listen, who will, listen, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Can I have an amen? I want this now. When I was 20, I did not want this so much. I want it now, and I have a feeling in 10 more years, I'm going to want it with a higher level of anticipation. Growing old is good for you. Notice it was Simeon, an old man, who waited eagerly. Notice it was Anna, a widow of 84 years, waiting the blessing of growing old is getting better at trusting the promises of God and waiting and actually seeing them as something good to be released from this prison. As Paul said in Romans chapter 7, after saying those things I want to do, I do not do, and those things I don't want to do, I do. Who will save me from this body of death? Well, he then goes on to talk about Jesus and through him there is therefore now no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ Jesus. But there is something yet to come. There is a deliverance that I wait for, that you wait for eagerly, and not just for the new body, but to see him. And this is according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Do you believe he's the creator? Say amen. Do you believe he's all-powerful? Say amen. And if you believe he's a creator and all-powerful, then he's able to subdue all things that he created, fallen or not, to himself. Amen. More evidence. Eager waiters welcome the presence of God the Son. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians will deal even with the rapture of the church. But it's interesting of the characteristic of the church. It says in verse 10, and to wait for his Son from heaven. Part of the purpose that you have here on earth right now, Christian, is to eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ from heaven, to say it often, to think about it all the time, to proclaim it to those around you, and then you will have a happier countenance. It says, whom he, God, raised from the dead, even Jesus, listen, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Well, that's my hope. Do you want to stay around for the wrath? I don't. And this is a promise. We await to, for his son from heaven who is going to deliver us, to take us out of this wrath. God was faithful to Noah. Build the ark. When I tell you, load the animals on the ark. So he was faithful. He built it. That's faith. He went into it. That's faith with all his family. That's faith. He closed up the door. That's faith. And then waited around for rain. Which happened. And then waited around to land. Which happened. And then waited around for the land to dry. Which happened. And then waited around to go out. Which happened. And then waited around for enough generations to be produced for something else to happen. A lot of waiting. Why are we surprised that we're waiting? It's the best schoolhouse of sanctification is to wait. 2 Timothy 4. The confession of Paul. Make this your confession. Paul says to Timothy, finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Oh, that's judgment, isn't it? How long will judgment be? What shall go before our eyes? What shall happen? A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me, Paul says, on that day. How did Paul walk? How did he always seem to be doing what God wanted him to do? Because he lived for final deliverance. 
for being with God, being in God, and coming to God. And look at this. It's not only singular to Paul. He says, and not only to me. Not only me. But also, listen, but also to all who have loved his appearing. If you can't wait to see Jesus, you've got the right goal. You've got the right heart. And the judgment is a crown of righteousness. It means you've believed in the promises of God, like Abram, who believed God and it was accounted to him for what? Righteousness. Fear not. He's coming. Number three. The third aspect, essential deliverance. Essential aspect of deliverance from sin. No apart from sin. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. This is deliverance of a final dimension. A final dimension. Something different than all that has been before. I could spend weeks on this, but I'm going to limit myself to these few things. Final rest. Final rest for those under the curse. From Adam and Eve in their fall, there was no rest for man. As even my father used to repeat so many times, there's no rest for the wicked. But in Christ, there is rest. Spiritual and eternal and final deliverance. Hebrews chapter 4, we've already studied this, but let's go again and look at verse 6. Therefore it remains that some must enter it. This is speaking of the rest. And of those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again he designates, verse 7, a certain day saying in David, today after such a long time, as it has been said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, now, now zero in here, for if Joshua had given them rest, Joshua is he who took Israel into the promised land to inherit it, to conquer the pagans, and to divide it amongst themselves. That's why Joshua is mentioned. If Joshua had given them a final rest, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. There's another rest coming. Verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Brothers and sisters, there's a rest coming. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his work, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the example of disobedience. How do we do that? We believe in his promise of the rest. A final dimension to come where ceasage of work happens. Not a break in the work and back to work. An end of all striving and even the weight of sin. Even Jesus said, 
My yoke is light. Come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is light. He gives rest. In 2 Thessalonians, speaking so much in that book of the end times, the times of entering into rest, the times of the judgment on the evil, but the time of deliverance. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we read in verse 5, which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. You can be eager waiting. You, you can be full of hopefulness when you're waiting for this final dimension to come. Though you suffer, counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Verse 6, 2 Thessalonians 1, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, but now listen, and to give you who are troubled rest with us. When? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day, listen, to be glorified in his saints. Did you hear that? To be glorified in, in the midst of his saints. And to be admired among all those who believe. Because our testimony among you is believed. Do you see that? Believed, believed, believed. Deliverance. After the judgment. And now the final dimension, the final resubjugation of all things cursed. The curse of man, he went to work. By the sweat of his brow, he worked. And now, sin that brought that curse and all of its cursings removed. The rebellion of Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden was a rebellion, certainly. A refusal to accept the promises of God and believe them. Thou shalt not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden of the knowledge of good and evil. But all other things I've given to you, they didn't believe. Unbelief is rebellion. And from that, the serpent was cursed, the woman was cursed, man was cursed, and the world that we lived in is cursed. The final subjugation of all things is coming. It is not yet. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2. For he has not put, verse 5, for he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels. 
But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. Listen, you put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Listen. But now, right now, we do not yet see all things put under him. All things are not yet subject. In Hebrews 1.13, But to which of the angels has he, God, ever said, Sit at my right hand. Listen, this is a key phrase. Till I make your enemies your footstool. We wait. And Jesus waits for the subjugation of the world under the curse. In Hebrew, excuse me, in, in Psalms chapter 2, he says this in verse 9, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. In Hebrews 10, again, don't leave that book yet, verse 12, but after... But this after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. He, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. The final subjugation of all things under Jesus the Christ. And this is why we uh, look with hope toward the resurrection of the dead. This is why Paul taught a complete chapter about resurrection from the dead in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Speaking of this order of how people will rise from the dead, he says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 15, but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ that is coming, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end, listen, to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son of God will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. This is the kingdom that Daniel said would come. This is that kingdom that was the stone that was hewn without hands that would set up a final kingdom. Remember Jesus? He said very little at his trials. And when the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, the Religious leaders of the day who wanted him dead were questioning him. And Jesus refused to answer. And then in exasperation, the high priest asked him again, saying, in Mark 14, 61, the high priest asked him again, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power 
and coming with the clouds of heaven. Deliverance. Our Bible ends Revelation 22. Some people mock red letter editions of the Bible. Some people say, well, all the words of the Bible are inspired, and that's absolutely true. But I like my red letter Bible. Sometimes I like having the things that Jesus said marked out. And so I'm just going to read the red letters of chapter 22 of Revelation. See if you can find the theme. Verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Verse 20, Surely I am coming quickly. Surely I am coming quickly. He will appear a second time apart from sin for final salvation. Let's pray. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Lord Jesus, may we truly sing that song. May our hope and our expectancy be as the delivered that you will deliver us. Surely you shall come. And we say with you, and we say with the end of the book of Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus. All God's people say, Amen. Amen.